Well, how are you this morning? It's uh, good to be with you virtually and to come at this point in our worship uh, to the, the worship of God, the adoration of God, uh, through the hearing of His sacred word, the Holy Scriptures. And so I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, as once again in the current series of messages in the book of Acts, we, we come back to uh, chapter 2, which offers to us a wonderful summary, a wonderful description of the life of the church in its earliest days. We're going to pick up our reading in verse 37 and read down through verse 47. This is God's Word, inspired through the pen of the man Luke, that we now read, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, or the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, would you, would you please come and speak your word right into our minds and into our hearts Speak in such a way that it is as if the very voice of God is, is being sounded from the heavens through the ministry of your word. And Father, may it affect us and change us and inspire us to live as the church, to be the church that you have called us to be. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the series that we are in in the book of Acts is intended to show to us what happens when the Spirit falls upon and fills the church. What happens when the Holy Spirit of God falls upon and fills the church? I'm not going to take 
time to review all that we have seen so far, I would encourage you that all who are a part of Risen Hope Church maybe re-listen to this series uh, via recording so that uh, it will be it will continue to to find its way into deeper places of our hearts and of our lives. In a very real sense, this series is defining for us as a church. It defines who we are, or at least it defines what we long and what we pray to be. It defines in some measure who we are, and it defines who we are committing to become and what we are committing to become as a church by the enabling grace of God. Now it occurred to me this week that I don't think we actually took time at the beginning of this series to show the place that the book of Acts has in Scripture as, as one of God's inspired writings. What is the place that it has? Uh, and as a result of that, the impact that it should have on us. What is the place of the book of Acts in redemptive history? And what is the role that God intends for it to have in our lives? So let me just take a couple of moments to, to address that. The book of Acts is a God-inspired uh, historical theological book that covers a 30-year span, roughly from 33 or so A.D. when Jesus ascended back to heaven to about 62 or 63 A.D. It, is, it covers the period of time chronologically right after the life and death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, right through to a period where Paul is in Rome and the gospel is on this westward track uh, to reach more and more nations for Christ. And the book of Acts is something of a bridge between Jesus' life and our life. It is, it is a connection. It, it shows how the apostles and the earliest Christians understood and applied the teachings of Christ. Jesus taught perhaps more eloquently and powerfully than just about anything he said that we are to love one another and we are to be uh, going into all the world as witnesses for Christ. And the book of Acts is it reveals to us how the apostles applied that, how they understood Jesus' commands, and how they applied them and lived them out for us. And so the book of Acts is a record, an apostolic record, of what Jesus' teachings should look like. And so when we come to this text, we're not just coming uh, to a history book. We're, we're coming to a book that's intended to model for us, um, to, to, to show to us, in, if you will, living color and dynamic experience, what church life is meant to be, what life in Jesus is meant to look like. And so there is tremendous value, importance, uh, and indeed, it is, it is essential that we study the book of Acts so that we make those connections and applications in our own lives. Now, as we, as we 
proceed today. Again, I'm not going to review where we've been in this series. I want us to, to move forward and, and see that among the many other things that we've already considered in this series, matters and practices that are the result of being filled with the Spirit of God, what we're going to notice today, a very prominent commitment of the early church, is a commitment to fellowship. A commitment to fellowship. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves to teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to breaking of bread and to the prayers. The, the Greek word, as many of you would know, the Greek word for fellowship is the word uh, koinonia. It, it speaks of shared life and relationship, having things in common with others that leads to a life lived in shared experience. Shared life, shared relationships, shared convictions, commitments, cooperation, affection, and all the rest. It's a very strong uh, unity word, if you will. And the, the book of Acts is actually full of unity words. Words like fellowship, together. They were of one heart, of one soul, of one accord, with one voice. They shared. They communed. They had community. They lived, had things in common with each other. These are all unity words. And I would, I would argue today that the, a spirit-filled church, a spirit-filled church will be a unity-committed church. A spirit-filled church will be a unity-committed church. A spirit-filled church will, in the words of Ephesians 4 and verse 3, will be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That unity that the Spirit produces in the church, we will be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A Spirit-filled church will be a unity-committed church. And what the book of Acts teaches us is that when the Spirit falls upon and when the Spirit fills the church, unity happens even in the context of great diversity. You, you could almost say that the book of Acts is something of a unity manifesto. It's a strong admonition that we be committed to unity in the church. And it is by way of implication, and if you're reading between the lines, uh, it is something of a, a word of correction. If we are letting preferences or cultures or race or politics or our own agendas or our own opinions come between us and divide us and distract us from the great cause of the gospel and the cause of the church. If we are letting these things in any way affect us negatively that way, then we are not 
being filled with the Spirit. For those who are filled with the Spirit are filled with the Spirit of unity. And the Spirit of unity binds together the people of God. Now, as I look at the book of Acts, I see this unity play out in many different ways. And I've wrestled this week in preparation with how many of these different expressions of unity I should try to include in one message. I probably could have come up with at least a dozen of these. And I have shown tremendous restraint in bringing it down to nine of these. So these are, these are nine ways that the Spirit of God unites us. These are, this is how fellowship, this is how unity gets expressed. When we uh, live together to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, these things will become evident in our lives. Let's, let's run through these quickly today. Nine points, nine Things that spirit-filled unity will share with others. Number one, spirit-filled unity shares the same gospel. It shares the same gospel. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 is rooted in the good news, the gospel that Peter proclaims in verses 14 and following. These are people, all of whom had just heard and just believed the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Peter uh, summarizes it in verse 36, where he says, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Read the entire section before verse 42, and you see Peter proclaiming, Jesus proclaiming the gospel of this one who was appointed by God the Father, sent into the world, rejected by human beings, hung upon a cross, crucified in open shame as a curse bearer to take away our sins, who then was buried in a tomb and then raised from the dead, ascended up into heaven, exalted to the right hand of God the Father. God has declared Him to be Lord and Christ. And when asked by His hearers, what do we do? Peter said, repent Repent and be baptized. Repent. Come to faith in Christ. Express that outwardly in baptism. Experience, he says, the forgiveness of your sins. This, this was the message that the early believers had in common. This is what they shared. Whatever were their differences, and we read earlier in Acts chapter Two, that they, the people of the early church came from many different nations and many different cultures and ethnicities, but they had this in common. Whatever were their differences, whatever were their cultural differences and tensions, they had this in common. They once were lost, but now they were found. They were once 
destined for hell under the wrath of God owed to them for their sins, but now they were forgiven through repentance and faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. This was a collection of sinners who had been saved by grace. And this is what we have in common in the church. We share the same gospel. Equally sinners, but forgiven freely and fully and finally through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, Spirit-filled unity shares the same gospel. Number two, Spirit-filled unity shares the same identity. The same identity. You'll notice in verse 38 that Peter tells them to be baptized in Jesus' name, which is a shortened version of what Jesus says in Matthew 28, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptize them in the name of the triune God. And you will notice in verse 41 that those who received His Word were baptized. In, in obedience to Jesus' command, every new believer and disciple was baptized in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people were baptized that day. And every one of them, every one of them was baptized in the same name. What an amazing sight this must have been as one by one, men and women and children stepped down into the water and were greeted by an apostle and then were dipped, immersed into the water under the, same, the sound of the same words, we baptize you in the name of Jesus or we baptize you in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One after another. Every single one of them took on a new name. A new identity. You see, when you come to faith in Christ, you are united to Christ. You are in Christ. You are in union with Christ. Christ. Your identity, He becomes your identity. To be baptized in the name of Christ. To be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is to signal to a watching world that you are a new person with a new identity. Whatever might be the various characteristics that that differentiate you from other people and other circumstances. This you have in common with all who have come to faith in Christ. You have a new identity. You have the same identity. So that if somebody asks you, who are you? The right answer is, I belong to Christ. The right answer, I have been baptized into the name. Jesus is my identity. His righteousness, His blood, His perfections. These are my identity. I am found in Him. And this is who I am. 
all 3,000 of these early believers, one right after another, heard those words over their heads and into their ears as they walked into the water. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They had a shared identity. Number three, spirit-filled unity shares the same power. Shares the same power. And here I am referring to Holy Spirit power. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This was a shared experience of the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter goes on later on in chapter 2 that the promise of the Spirit was not just for them, but it was on all flesh. And it was for any who would come to faith in Christ and everyone who would call on the Lord for their salvation. We have all received the same powerful gifting, regenerating, equipping, sanctifying, unifying spirit. We have but one spirit. This is not something perhaps that we would think or we would assume as we, as we listen to or read the interactions that Christians have with each other. There's a very distinct lack of unity and oneness in the Spirit that is evident on social media and in other contexts. But the reality is this. Even those people with whom you and I may most disagree share the same Spirit with us. Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we all were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. We share the same power, the same power giver, the same Spirit. Number four, Spirit-filled unity shares the same communion. The same communion. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Over in chapter 20 and verse 7. They came together on the first day of the week to break bread. There's disagreement on what exactly this is referring to. Is it a reference just to eating together? Or is it a reference to the communion meal? I tend to think that the language is is Jesus-type language for the communion meal. But even if it's not, we, we have in the rest of Scripture in the teaching of our Lord in all four Gospels and Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, we have the teaching that 
we are to break bread and drink the cup in remembrance of him. There's something powerfully unifying as the body of Christ to partake of, in symbolic form, the body of Christ and to drink together in remembrance of Christ the blood that is poured out for us. There is something powerful in that experience. It is unifying. It is a communion both between us and God and us and others. Spirit-filled unity shares the same communion. Spirit-filled unity in the fifth place shares the same prayer life. The same prayer life as we saw last week. Acts 2 verse 42, they were devoted to the prayers. Acts 1 verse 14, they gathered together with one accord or voice or mind in prayer. Prayer is a great unifier. I'm not going to say a lot about prayer here because I gave a whole message to it last week, but I remind you of our prayer campaign that is going on, that is a concerted focus effort by the grace of God to convert our church into a house of prayer. Why do we pray? Because God says to. Why do we pray? Uh, well, we pray to praise His name and, and to plead His forgiveness and to petition His help. Why do, why do we pray? Well, to call down power from on high. Why do we pray? Well, we pray because it binds our hearts together. When we pray together, there is a powerful unifying effect. There are, there are a few things, and I'm not just saying this. this in my long experience as a, as a believer, there are few Things, few experiences more sweet and more profound and more deeply impacting than hearing the sound of God's people praying. We want to continue to urge you, to plead with you, to, to make our, our appointed prayer times appointments in your calendar, to, to make them a, a regular and consistent part of your life. At the moment, many of these are, are done Zoom-wise, and so it's brought right into your home. Join us. Make it so that at least one, one adult member of your household is a part of this. Or at times, let the kids sit in on it as well. It is good for them, good for them to hear God's people praying. May it be that we will be a house of prayer, and in so being, that we will be united together. Number six, spirit-filled unity shares the same diet. It shares the same diet. And obviously, I'm not speaking uh, literally and physically here. I don't know how many diets are represented uh, in our congregation when it comes to physical food. I'm talking about spiritual food. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. These were people who were hungry for the nourishment of the Word of God. They, their diet was consistently more of the Word, more of the Word. The, they, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That is, teaching that was given by the disciples 
by the apostles when they were present and able, and teaching of the apostles, but through other people, teaching that came from the apostles, but was transmitted through others. Either way, it was a shared diet that fed and unified them. One of the great benefits of Sunday preaching in a local church is that for at least a half hour or 45 minutes, God's people are sharing a diet together. They're eating the same food. They're being nourished by the same truth. They're being unified in the same word. We strengthen unity when we share the same diet. Number seven, spirit-filled unity shares the same space. Shares the same space. In verse 44, we read, And all who, were, who believed were together. Just let that kind of settle on your ears. All, all who believed were together. They were together. Turns out this is a pretty significant word in the book of Acts. There are somewhere around 14 times when we see that believers were together in one way or another. It is a distinctive mark of a healthy, spirit-filled church. They were together, not just in heart, but physically. They were in the same space. They shared the same space as often as they could. So we we read in the text that they met in the temple day by day. That was kind of their equivalent of a church building. Somewhere on the temple grounds or in one of the, the sections of the temple, they met for worship and teaching and prayer. Later on, it talks about uh, Christians in Ephesus who met in a synagogue and then in a rented hall. Interesting. But ever since the beginning of time, Christians in a particular locality have done everything they could to find a place, some space where they could meet together. Sometimes outside, sometimes in a barn, sometimes in a cathedral, sometimes in a simple church building. It really didn't matter, but they needed some shared space. They needed to be gathered together corporately, and so do we. One reason why we have obtained our new location is because we've, we've gone too long without being able to be together. We need to be together. Safe distance, to be sure. Careful, to be sure. But we need to be together, if at all possible. And we understand as the day approaches when our building will open up that there will be some because of COVID who will, who will still be cautious. We totally get that. We understand that to some degree we feel that and we share that. Um, but our goal, our goal must always be as soon as possible, as wisely as possible, to be together, to share the same space. 
The early Christians did that not just in the temple. It goes on to say that they shared the same space in each other's homes. Verse 46, day by day they met not only in the temple, but in homes, or as other translations put it, from house to house. They didn't just gather in shared spaces for corporate worship. They gathered in smaller spaces for fellowship and interaction and prayer. This is the equivalent of our community groups. This is where believers within a larger church got together in smaller context in homes to make sure that between the corporate gatherings there were other gatherings for the sake of unity growth and love and and it wasn't just getting in each other's homes uh, for worship and for praise and for singing and the rest it was many times sharing food they they ate their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart this is an expression this home to home and house to house ministry an expression of new testament hospitality really new and old testament hospitality hospitality is a sacred duty and a blessing paul would say later on in romans 12:13 seek to show hospitality peter will tell us show hospitality to one another without grumbling first peter 4:9 we need to find ways to do hospitality to do welcome to share food and time together hebrews puts it like this do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers remember the early church in acts chapter 2 was made up of people from all over the ancient middle eastern world that's what verses 5 through 11 tell us so the the people who lived in jerusalem were opening their homes to believers whom they did not know these were devout believers from every nation under heaven and and you could really build a case that we really haven't shown hospitality unless it is shown to a stranger unless it's shown to somebody who's different from us someone we don't know well someone who has needs someone it's not just friends that we have over for dinner. That's just friendship. That's not really hospitality. Hospitality is sharing our food and our table with people who are different than us. And may it be, may it be, as 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 we know as pastors, that there are a number of folks within our congregation who are feeling disconnected. And And by that they mean not just disconnected because of COVID, but disconnected in the sense of being on the outside looking in, not being a part of inner circles of friendship and relationship. Oh, that we would make a commitment that we would we would go from house to house. We would open our own home and not just to people like us, but to people who are very different from us and to people who need our love. The early church was committed to shared space in corporate worship, small group fellowship. Oh, that our community groups would revive and thrive. That if you're a part of a community group, you would reconnect to that group with dedication so that we can have corporate worship together, that we can have small group fellowship, that we can have table hospitality. When this happens... It is a sign that the Spirit of God is filling us and empowering us and affecting us. 
oh, so much more that could be said there. Let me, let me just say this, that sometimes I think we, we tend to look back on the days of Acts and biblical times and says, think, oh, it would have been so much easier back then. Life was so much simpler and all the rest. I'm not sure that's true. At just one level, they didn't have cars. So everywhere they went, they had to walk. And I pictured this week, and I pictured families walking down the dirty roads, and there were no paved roads then, so they were walking on this dirt and this sand, you know, with a, a child on one hip and holding hands with a child on the other side. And they were just so committed to sharing space with other believers that they would walk wherever they had to walk for however long it took uh, to find some space that they could share with each other. Oh, that we would have such a passion for fellowship with each other. Number eight, spirit-filled unity shares the same reservoir. Shares the same reservoir. And I'm, I'm referring here, and I'm not going to read the text. You can read them on your own. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. Acts 2, verses 44 and 45. And Acts 4, verses 32 through 35, where we are told that the early Christians had things in common. They brought land, they brought resources, they brought money, and they formed this kind of reservoir from which the apostles and the leaders of the church could draw in order to meet people's needs. This was done voluntarily. It wasn't done under governmental or church compulsion or, or coercion. It was a voluntary offering of the people of God, but it filled up a reservoir that, that could be dispersed to and dispensed to any and all that had need. A healthy church will have such a reservoir of resources from which any who have need may draw and to which any who have opportunity may give. And quickly and finally, spirit-filled unity shares the same mission. Shares the same mission. We read in Acts 2 and verse 47 these wonderful words. The Lord added daily to their number. How were these people added? They were added because the Christians were bearing witness of Christ. Everywhere they went, whoever they met, they told them about Jesus. They were fulfilling Acts 1 and verse 8. You shall be my witnesses starting in Jerusalem. And witnesses they were. And what motivated them and drove them? I think it was Acts 4 and verse 12. Where Peter says, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You see, they knew two things. They knew that people needed to be saved. And they knew that Jesus was the only way. People needed to be saved from their sins. They needed to be saved from themselves. They needed to be saved from wrath and hell and judgment to come. People needed to be saved. They knew that. And they also knew that there was no other way to be saved other than through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And knowing those two things, they were always on mission. 
everywhere they went. And dear ones, dear friends, brothers, sisters, this will unite us, having a shared mission wherever we live. Wherever we live, Havertown, Drexel Hill, Upper Darby, Sharon Hill, Glen Olden, Prospect Park. Wherever we live, having a shared mission, a burden, a passion for the lost, a deep conviction, deep conviction that people need to be saved and that there is salvation in no one else but Jesus. Friends, as we have said, the book of Acts and chapter 2 is written about a church that was filled with tremendous diversity, and yet they experienced powerful unity. May it be that God will give us grace to answer the call to unity by sharing these things that we have spoken of here today, a shared gospel, a shared identity, a shared power, a shared communion, a shared prayer life, a shared diet, some shared space, a shared reservoir, and a shared mission. And might I say it as I close that, as I have reflected on these things, I think it is safe to say that we have not asked too much of ourselves or each other in times past. Maybe not enough. Maybe it is that God is calling us to a level of commitment and faithfulness to a shared life together that goes deeper, that becomes stronger, that involves more sacrifice, more commitment, that shares mission, that is united in all of these things for his praise and for his glory, all because of Jesus and all that he has done for us. They, in the shadow of the cross, And in the afterglow, if you will, of the ascension of Jesus, the early church was so impassionately in love with Jesus that it couldn't help itself. It had to be together, and it had to proclaim Christ to their generation. Oh, let us, by God's grace, become more and more like them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you will seal this truth in our hearts, that you will not let it um, slip from our thoughts, slip from our hearts, but that it will, it will find a place there so that it can f- take root there. That, Father, this expression of spirit-filled unity will more and more become our experience. Oh, Lord, may it be, too, that you will add more and more. May it be that you will add daily to the church those who are being saved. And to you will belong all the glory and all the praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close, let me, let me remind you, Wednesday evening at 7.30 is our next prayer time and we are we're praying this coming Wednesday for revival that that the experience of Acts chapter 2 will be our experience that the, the the totality of this 
will become our experience through the revival power of the Holy Spirit of God. We're praying for revival and and we want to encourage, as I said earlier, we want to encourage every family to participate if at all possible. We realize some can't for whatever the reasons, but if every family can join us, how sweet it would be. And if some children were to join us, how sweet it would be. And let me remind you as well, that we have our consistent month-by-month experience of fellowship and unity in our community groups. If, If your attendance and participation has slipped off a bit, might I encourage you to apply this message in these two ways. Join us for prayer and restart and rejoin your community group. Uh, that you might enjoy the fellowship and unity of God's people. Our Father in heaven, may your grace and hope and your peace rest upon us. Whoever we are, wherever we are, whatever we are facing, Lord, may it be. May it be that the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit would be upon us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with you until we meet again. Amen.